Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hi all, thank you, Joseph, and welcome to everyone. This is Casey Covert, your host on Training with Casey, and Recently, there's been a spate of questions, uh, requests for help from people that are trying to get animals to cooperate with either grooming or veterinary behaviors. And I've done a lot of this, (laughs) really a lot of this. And here's how I came into it. As a marine mammal trainer working with research animals in diving physiology, we were all about collecting information from the animals. And I quickly saw how important it was to teach the animals to be collaborative partners in this. Now, how long ago was this? 1973. Okay. And We were teaching little seals and sea lions to follow a boat and breathe into a canister that would capture the air so that the scientists could test it. As a matter of fact, that was pretty funny because uh, they were trying to determine the lung volume of these various animals. And so they had to have them hold their breath until they got to this cone. And then they could breathe in and out at this cone. And the cone supplied them with air that was mixed with um, helium, right? So give them those daffy Donald Duck voices. And this is something that I was an inexperienced trainer then. I didn't think to show that aspect of this behavior to the animals. So... Inevitably, they would bark, and then the voice would be fu- their voice would be funny, and then it would be off to the races, bark, 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 you know, but more like quack, 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 quack. Anyway, so we we did that, and we taught them to go into metabolic chambers, and it goes on and on, and it's so important because at that time uh, there were things that we could not do voluntarily that later on I I learned how to do. And marine mammals are very susceptible to anesthesia accident. Uh, At that time, they had almost a 50% chance of dying if they went under anesthesia for any reason at all. You know, just to check something, it didn't have to be for a high-risk surgery or something like that. So fast forward, I, I went on to train dolphins, and then I went on to the National Zoo And I worked with um, all kinds of animals and my, the animals that I actually cared for included seals and gray seals and California sea lions, but also otters, beavers, wolves, bush dogs, cheetahs, uh, five kinds of bear. And then I would help other trainers and other keepers 
with other animals, including the pandas and the elephants and cats. And it goes on and on. I mean, basically, the techniques are the same for everyone and it works for your children. It'll work for you. I explained the basics of giving blood and or getting an injection to my mother. And to this day, she'll go in to get lab tests and she'll get all relaxed and so forth. And then she'll tell the person they did a really good job. It didn't even hurt. And then she says, you know, the reason it doesn't hurt is not because they're really great, which they probably are, but because she learned how to relax. And she said, I look away from it and I just relax. It doesn't hurt at all. My daughter taught me that. She's an exotic animal trainer. Go mom. Go mom. Nobody should have anxiety over that. And I know that for a fact because I myself have anxiety about giving blood. I worked in immunopathology labs and they involved a lot of blood, like blood in big beakers stirring on these hot plates that weren't on, but they would just turn these little magnetic uh, capsules around and around to keep the blood stirring up. And I remember walking into the lab the first time and seeing the blood and fainting dead away. <laughs> and later on, they uh, seemed to think that because I worked in the lab, I had to give blood and I never even got my blood typed because there's no way I was going to give blood. And they thought I was a big wimp, which was fair, fair enough. Anyway, so then later on, I learned to give blood and, and I even learned to take blood from other animals and to do surgeries and all this kind of stuff. And my experience teaching the animals, I then applied to myself. So how do you get started and how is it different from what you may know about? Now, ironically, this has been around for way longer than Fear Free has been. And Fear Free is pretty much uh, using a lot of pheromones to keep an animal calm. So they use the pheromones that the animals give off to calm themselves and one another, but they also use a lot of food. And in order to use this food, they've changed their policies in the office. It used to be that you didn't give an animal any food before a surgery. And, uh, you know, it goes on and on. Well, that's a great thing that people are doing. It's great that they're recognizing, as the pathologist told me in 1973, that stress is 90% of disease. So it's a conflict of interest for a vet to stress an animal because it's likely to do the animal physical harm. But I do have reservations about fear-free. And uh, rather than tell you about what they are, maybe that'll be another podcast later. You can discover them for yourself if you just compare the two things. So what's the second thing? Well, it's called perception modification. And it's a protocol 
for empowering animals to cope with stress and manage their behavior. And that includes their fear and arousal at working with vets and or groomers. So the process is simple, but not easy. Or so it appears to me after teaching this for about 20 years, and this is the most difficult subject that I teach so far. <laughs> and what makes it difficult? Well, we try to teach things with a simple linear process, but in real life, sometimes everything comes at us at once. And when we're dealing with situations where animals are fearful, that is often one of those cases. So as you're working with the animals, you need to be telling them what's going on. You need to have already taught them how to self-manage uh, their emotions. They should be able to attain and maintain relaxation. They should be able to do that in response to an offer. If you get easy, I will take you for a walk. All right. So it's an if-then statement. And then we use a tool called cycles to take an animal from a point where they cannot deal with a certain trigger to where they eagerly deal with that trigger. And that's why we call it perception modification. It's not that the animals are, you know, just stealing themselves and tolerating us doing whatever. We literally change the way the animal sees something. So if it started out being afraid of getting his nails done, the animal will often turn into that animal which wants to get his nails done first. Now, if you want to see a really definite example of this, you can go to our playlist. So if you go to youtube.com slash C slash Casey Cover. That's K-A-Y-C-E-C-O-V-E-R. No dots, no spaces, no underlines. And that's one of my YouTube channels. And then you can go to the playlist and search for veterinary medical procedures. And there's a couple that I want to tell you about. This one's only 43 seconds long. And I'm going to play it and talk you through it. You hear all that? Okay, I'm going to change that. I'm going to set you up for this. And then I'm going to let you listen to it. Because uh, the, the sound will be distorted otherwise. Okay, so this is at the University of Maryland where... I was uh, hired as a technical expert and we needed to collect blood from the vena cava. Not sure why the vena cava, but the reason they had to collect the blood is by law, they had to monitor the breeding animals for brucellosis and pseudo rabies. And to do this, they would draw like uh, a 
I don't remember how much it was, but it was a big syringe and it had a five inch needle. And you can look in the video and see how big it is. In fact, I'll probably comment. Anyway, so the first part of this video, which is only 43 seconds long, shows the way the university was doing this when we first started. And it's a sow with her little piglets. And it's time for her blood to get sampled. And she's frightened. And she's protesting. And the little piglets are terrified. And they're in a burrowing crate so they can get under a fence and uh, get away from the mother and the commotion and everything. And these veterinarians and research, researchers that were doing this were very compassionate and very concerned about the pigs, but they needed to get this done. And at that time, they still kind of thought that animals were not that conscious of pain, that it was you know, kind of a mindless experience that wouldn't continue to affect them. Anyway, you're going to hear that pig first. Then, and, and the title of that section is called The Old Way. And then the new way shows a young pig getting its blood sampled from the vena cava, one inch from the heart, five inches deep. And you're going to see that the pig is sucking on a bottle with flat orange soda. That's another story in itself. Um, they love that flat orange soda so much that I thought that it was just some kind of like pig, you know, insight. That if you use flat orange soda, that pigs would just do whatever you wanted. Well, that's not the case. Like all of us, pigs are subject to trends and fashions. And the guys at the swine unit had a soda machine. And they loved to buy Fanta orange soda. And so if they, you know, got distracted or um, forgot to drink the last of their soda, it would go flat. And then they would give it to the pigs. And this became a thing. The pigs really wanted the soda. So um, Betty Aretz, the leader of the swine unit, put some of this flat orange soda in a Nalgene bottle. And it looks like the pig is sucking on it. Well, the pig is trying to suck on it, but Betty doesn't want to feed that pig during the uh, blood collection. And the reason for that is that if the pig moves and we nicked the vagus nerve, it could kill the pig instantly on the spot. So we don't want to feed during this. We don't want to distract it. We don't want the pig to move. And in fact, this is where I, I developed the signal, the intermediate bridge. If you've heard of that signal and been curious about it, this is it. This is where we didn't. You won't even hear it in this video because this pig already knows this behavior. So we dropped out the intermediate bridge. Now, remember when I said 
that we change the way the animal looks at this behavior or at these behaviors. What you're going to see in this video is a pig freestanding, volunteering to get this five inch needle up to the hilt in his or her chest. But not only that, right behind Benny's shoulder, you're going to see another pig. You just see the tops of his ears because he is quietly, patiently awaiting his turn. You see, when we did this training, we did have some significant problems. And namely, this is what it was. We went from the pigs being afraid of this procedure to all the pigs wanting to go first. So we had to give them all names, teach them their names, and teach them that it was only when their name was called that they could get their blood taken. So if you want proof that they're interested to do this, just check it out. It's dynamite. Okay, so you might be asking, what are we going to see? What are we going to hear? Not much. It's so quiet you could hear a pin drop. In fact, uh, the researcher, Tom Hartsock, asked, does this thing have autofocus? I think that's what he's saying. And you can hear him very clearly because it's so quiet. Believe me, that was not the normal state of affairs at the swine unit. All right, so how long did it take? About an hour per animal to do this, to not only get it done, but to develop animals to the point where they looked forward to this as an opportunity. All right, so I'm going to play it along and head out to the YouTube site to take a look at it. There's a lot of treats there. Here we go. Okay, now here's the new way. Is this autofocus? Yeah. <laughs> it was that simple that simple that's 43 seconds and it shows the entire well it shows both uh you know both efforts to collect blood from the pigs but it's amazing it's really amazing now am i tooting my own horn well yeah, yeah because i developed the technique and i taught the technique but actually, I didn't do that work. This isn't me you know, doing something magical with these animals. This is people that have studied with me doing these magical things. And when you go to the veterinary medical procedures playlist, you're going to see video after video, some that I'm doing and some that other people are doing. 
And one of those I hope you'll definitely check out is Star's Big Day. Now, that's a 42-second video. I'm going to play that with you, too. First of all, I'll tell you what it is. Star was a really nice dog, but he was vicious if he went to touch his body. He just was having none of that. They couldn't put medication in his ears. They couldn't give him vaccines. They had problems doing any kind of grooming, although he was a dog that didn't really require grooming in general. And he was going to be euthanized because they couldn't take care of him. And then he got an ear infection and it became critical. So he's on the short list for euthanasia. And what happened is Liz Marshall, who was one of the staff at Woodgreen, volunteered to try to use perception modification to teach Star to let her get uh, medicate his ears because that was the absolutely critical thing. He had this horrible ear infection. So she did that. And it took her two and a half weeks. They'd given her three weeks to turn Star around. And at two and a half weeks, she did it. And all of a sudden she thought, oh my, if he can be cared for, he doesn't have to be euthanized. So she, she used the re, like one half a week, right? To take Star and teach him to cooperate with his vaccines. So when you go and watch this particular video, you're going to see Star staring at a big plastic container of cheese. It's sitting on a chair right in front of him. And you might think that that was there to reward him for cooperation. But in actuality, Liz explained that that was there because if he didn't pass this test, they were going to euthanize him right there. And the food was to distract him so that they could give him the injection. Now, until you watch this, you're gonna find this very confusing. Because, well, I'll just let you see. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. I'll fill you in on what's going on. So it's just 42 seconds. Here we go. Stop. Restream. Scrum, and Okay, that was 22 seconds. Okay, that last was the sound of caregivers dancing jigs and laughing and hugging one another. For all of us professionals, we know the pain of accompanying an animal out of this world when the best thing we can give them is a loving hug 
as they exit this world. And that's exactly what Liz was thinking that she was going to be doing that day. But her good work paid off and star passed with flying colors to everybody's absolute amazement. Now, as a matter of fact, Star was put up for adoption right after that. And he got adopted within one week. And he lived to a good old age, happily in his new home. And that is an amazing side benefit of this whole protocol. And that is that the animals will generally become self-managing to the extent that they will solve new problems for themselves and they don't require input from the owners. Now, that's huge because whenever we depend on owners, well, you know, they're not dog trainers. They didn't want to be dog trainers. That's why they hired us. And so now the dog's well-being and his success in life is dependent on people that, you know, were with him when he started the problem in the first place, maybe. So it is really amazing and wonderful that when we teach this process to the animals, we literally teach it to the animals. We don't even need to teach it to the owners. And in fact, with the wood green adoptions, they didn't tell any of the owners of the animals that went through the SATS program about the program or, you know, name and explain or the intermediate bridge or cycles or any of that. The dogs just went to their new home without any other special explanation. And every single one of them was successful. So let's talk about that whole little experiment. I think this is huge. And to tell you the truth, I wouldn't have done it this way. I'm much more cautious, but it turned out for the best. And I am so delighted to have this data. So here's what happened. Woodgreen had uh, 29 animals, no, Yeah, uh -huh. I'm having a memory moment right now, but I, I think it was 29 animals, including Star, that were facing euthanasia. And they weren't all dogs. There was a very uh, nasty horse that would try to bite people. And there was a goat that wanted to ram people and the rest were dogs. And one of the dogs was Star and another dog was Ebony, who was ready to bite anyone and everyone and had a problem with other dogs as well. There was the horse's name was Safi. The goat, excuse me, was, <clears throat> hold on. The goat was Durban. And there was a bull terrier. I'm mentioning these animals in particular because we had the video of them. And so Safi was the horse and uh, Durbin the goat and Jem 
was a little bull terrier that would chase her own tail. And Wood Green gave all of these animals, Star they gave three weeks to, he was the first, and then the rest of these guys came through and they only gave them two weeks. And they had a special unit for dogs with behavior problems that looked like they might be helped. And the person that worked that unit was Annette Harwood. And she was really a talented trainer. And she decided when she learned that nobody wanted to work with Safi, the horse that was so aggressive, that she would just do the horse and the goat as well, even though, you know, her whole career uh, path was dogs. So they had two weeks on her unit and that meant that they were going to have a total of approximately 15 hours of training time. So Annette went through and trained every one of these dogs and she was a brand new SATS trainer. She had just gotten certified within, you know, a month or so of this all happening. So all the dogs passed with flying colors, except for Jem, the little bull terrier that chased her own tail, and Safi, the horse. Well, Safi had to learn to get her hooves done and get the grooming and be led on a halter and also get on and off of a horse trailer, which can be a challenging thing uh, for a horse and for the trainer. So Safi and Jem had made good progress. And Wood Green said, all right, you can have another two weeks. The end of two weeks, they were successful. Every single animal was put up for adoption. Within a week of finishing their training, they were adopted. We waited for two years. There was not one single return. Well, I couldn't stand the suspense. I implored them, will you please, please, please call these people and see if they do in fact still have their dog. Like what if they took them someplace else and turned them in? Or what if they gave them away or, you know, whatever. So Annette conscientiously called every single home and every animal was still successful in their new home. And about a year and a half ago, I had the pleasure of speaking to the owners of Safi. So Safi is a Dale Pony, which is a heritage breed in England. And they tend to be a little rascally. So when she was on her way home, her new owners, who were also Sats trainers, by the way, they just happened to see Safi at Woodgreen when they were there getting their certification class and they made a comment that she looked like their horse so they looked into the pedigree and Safi was indeed the daughter of their horse so they told Woodgreen if you can get her in a trailer so that we can take her home we will uh, provide a home for her so not only did Annette get her into the trailer she turned that Safi around and 
developed her into a really wonderful animal. So on the way home, her new owners promised her, if you continue to uh, be the way that you are, we will never sell you. You know, if you are gentle and kind to people, you will always have a home with us. So in a week or two, they had to go to a Dale Pony show. And Safi assisted all these other horses, these ponies, to get in and out of the trailer or the float, as they call them over there. And the new owners got several offers to buy Sappy because she was such a mild and beautifully natured Dale Pony. Yay, Sappy, way to go. So Sappy's still going strong. And that was excellent because it's about 15 years now. Okay, so that's the wood green situation. We had all these animals that were slated for euthanasia because they were doing things that were considered to be unacceptable in pets. So they were all going to be euthanized. 15 hours of training time and 27 of those animals were safely in their new homes where they stayed safely. And less than 30 hours, 30 hours of training or less, and Jem and Safi made it through and made it into their new lives. This is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. The process is kind of painstaking and boring. It's like watching paint chip or grass grow. The beauty of it, the sexiness of it, is that you're watching these animals recreate and reclaim their lives. You're watching them learn how to operate the human system and how to understand and cope with things like veterinary procedures and grooming and being held and children and being worried about other dogs because perception modification is an effective tool for everything that is emotionally and perception mediated. So it doesn't matter if your animal has separation anxiety or uh, thunder phobia, or um, they wanna eat cats, or they're afraid of other dogs, or they're anxious, or they're just too happy, whatever it is, you can be important and effective in helping that le animal learn to cope. Now, is it 100% effective? Well, in the case of these 29 animals for wood green, yes, it was 100% effective. And I will tell you that it's probably over 97% effective. Uh, looked at over the thousands and thousands of animals we've helped over the course of my career. The there's always going to be some animals that will not respond or they don't respond fully. I have a wonderful dog and I love him dearly. He's a great dog for us, 
this dog has never taken on, hasn't come on board, or he can't come on board with learning how to tolerate people in general. So dogs and other animals are subject to all the same disease conditions that people are. So they, they can have mental illness, they can have autism, they can have epilepsy. You can't blame a dog with epilepsy for biting someone when they have seizures. And you can't be, blame a dog with autism for having meltdowns. And this particular dog of mine seems like he has autism. Like he'll get into a trigger situation and he'll just get this glass-eyed look and stand there. And uh, he, he seems unable to have any change in his behavior. Like he won't avoid me. He won't move. He'll just stand there doing the wrong thing <laughs> anyway, but he's um, 10 years old so far and we've done very well together and he's learned a lot and he does a lot. And, you know, he does go to the vet and gets things done. Uh, the vet helps us. Uh, he, the vet allows us to help them by holding him and so forth, which is way better than if they tried to take him to the back room. That is not a good process with Rocky. Anyway, you can do this too. Anybody can do this. And it, you can solve all these problems like separation anxiety. That's a thorny one for people. Uh, noise phobias, thunder fear. And like I said, we can do it generally in 15 hours or less of training time. So it takes more from the trainer than, you know, if you can just serve them food, that could be quick and easy. But here's why we don't do that. Like we have some colleagues and they have some easier insights in getting this done. But I want to see that animal prepared for the rest of a really good life. I want that animal to empowered to manage his own behavior. And so that animal needs to understand. He needs to consciously understand. Now, something that we do that um, I'm not aware of most other trainers doing this, but it's very, very important and effective. And that is we explain everything to the animals, including what we're about to do and what their part in it is. So, if you want to get started trying this, that's one place you can start. Just start explaining everything to the animals. And then in the meantime, we are reopening the perception modification class uh, in January. And we'll be um, putting out the you know training, the, the free training sessions that go along with this launch. And you can learn more about it. You can try some of the tools. And then it might be a great time for you to actually join right now. And it's a 10-week class. And it leads you to learn about condition relaxation. 
and to take the dog through this entire uh, process of being able to attain and maintain relaxation by conscious choice. Then that leads into a second class, which is also 10 weeks, which teaches about the use of cycles. And that's another extremely effective tool that is what allows us to change the way the animal responds to triggers. So the first class is, hey, animal, here is how to self-relax. And the second class is, hey, animal, this is how you can apply your self-relaxation skills to solving your most difficult life problems. And it's amazing because when those animals see and during the cycles actually see their response to triggers and what it costs them, they get to study that. And they generally decide they want to be free from that. It is amazing. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and share screen and play that pig video again. Here we go. Okay, I'm gonna do the pig video and the star video and we're gonna do star first. So this time, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you'll be able to see it. So here's star. Star, restrain. No, as a matter of fact, I think. Okay, and I have to find the pig video next. Here it is. Autofocus. And that was it, folks. All right. Thank you for spending time with me. And I hope you enjoy this and keep like looking on our YouTube channel. There's a lot of stuff there. All right. Take care and thank you. Good night. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to 
the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Cover on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.